This is the EWN Podcast Network. You are listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. My guest today is Monica Kunze-Kwikuta. Did I get it right? Well done! Yay! Uh, Thank you. Monica, thank you so much for joining me today. I remember the very first time we met was at the Women Talk Conference in Canmore and where our booths were uh, close to each other. And we, we just went into this really deep conversation about my experiences in the foster care system. And you had a, a story that just stuck with me. So I would love to kind of start there because we were going to uh, name this podcast finding Michael or where did Michael go or something like that I think we'll figure it out by the end Um, so tell me that experience in your life so where are you originally from I'm originally from Zimbabwe Zimbabwe but you you worked in the UK you lived in England yes I, I, I lived in England I went to England when I was 23 and I lived there for 21 years and you were a social worker I started as a project worker and I was working in children's homes and um, mental health projects. Uh, they used to call them projects. Then now they call them supportive, supportive living. And there was a young, there was a young lad there, wasn't there? My, it's not my very first encounter working in the care sec- sector. Even before I, I went to mental health, my very first shift was working with children and I went to work in this home, 23 years old, coming from Africa, Zimbabwe. I go and work in a home where children have been taken away from their parents because of different types of abuse. To start with, I just could not comprehend how that could happen, that children could be taken away from the safest place to be given to an institution because the parents themselves have failed to provide that that safe space. You had a, a lovely life in Zimbabwe, didn't you? I, um, I, my parents divorced when I was three, but I lived with my aunts and uncles. I had a close-knit family. Mm-hmm. And so as a child, I, you know, I had nothing to say about any of that that kind of uh, abuse. And, and so I was well protected and well loved. I only experienced a little bit of uh, um, abuse from my stepmom. And when my father saw that, he did not mince his words. He just told her that when I, when I married you, I had told you I had a daughter. I made sure I introduced you to her. You saw her before you made a decision to marry me. And you decided to marry me knowing fully well that I have a child. And so for you to be treating her like this, it's unacceptable. And so when I come back from work, I want to find you gone. Oh, my. Wow. Good for him. Wow. What a wonderful man. You know, and so when when he said that, even though I was about seven, eight, I knew what protection is from a parent, what, you know. And so for me to walk into a space where 
none of the parents have been able to protect their child was just so hard for me to comprehend. And I, I, I remember my very first shift, you know, usually when they ask if your experience, if you know, you'd be thinking, I've looked after young kids. I've looked, you are not thinking this is a job. It's different from looking after your cousins and, you know, Mm -hmm. it's different from working. And so when I went in there, obviously they had asked me if I had worked with kids. I know how to look after kids. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I know. But I didn't know that these were troubled kids. And I was assigned to work with Michael. And when I took him to bed that day, um, he was to read him a story and all that. You know, he, he just said to me, he'd never seen a black person before. And he was like, can I touch your skin? And I, I, I gave him my hand, my hand, and then he rubbed it and he goes, wow. He goes, so you speak English. Do you have a different language? I said, oh, yes, I speak Shona. He goes, wow. He goes, can you count from one to 10 in your language? And I said, of course. And I started counting, you know, Posi, Piri, Tatu. And he was so amazed and his face lit up. And I think it was from that I connected with this child. I bonded with him. And because I was his key worker, I also was then very protective of him. But then it just did not end there. I, I started processing why he was in that place for, and this was a young child who was uh, being molested and abused by both parents. How old was he when you met him? He was eight. And just the innocence of that eight-year-old to be able to say, wow, I've never seen, yeah. You know, and I, I remember each time I went home, I, fin- I would hold myself up until I finished my shift. And then I would sit on the bus, on the train, and I would cry for about two hours. Oh, my tears would just roll down my cheeks. And I'll be thinking, the, the main question was, what sort of future is he going to have? Are they going to have? And I didn't have an answer for that. And, and because I could not see a future for them, a bright future for them, it made me so sad. And so I, I used to cry every day. Were these kids typically left in these orphanages or these homes? Were they ever adopted? I mean, I'm sure some were, but were, most part, were they just kind of left on their own till they were old enough to, um, you know, fend for themselves? These were homes which were set up to care homes mm-hmm. for children who had been taken away. For some of them, they kind of worked out the relationship and took them back home. I don't know whether the parents went through some rehabilitation or whatever, but um, I couldn't handle it much longer. I left because I I realized that I was getting depressed by what I was was, um, witnessing and also by just not seeing a brighter future for these kids, it, it affected me. So they didn't, did the home prepare you at all? Like what kind of training did you have to even nothing? I didn't have much. I didn't, I was coming from the agency. I think where they were desperate for staff and they probably just say, who have you got on your books, uh, in your books? And they, I was there, I was available. 
And then I thought, what would be difficult, you know, going to work in a children's home? So I went. But uh, I think it was for me to have this encounter with uh, Michael, who then had such an impact on me, on my life, in, in the way I, I see and view certain, you know, certain issues and challenges in life. Uh, when I see people, I think it was to teach me a lesson about not judging but also within that home, I remember there was one lady who used to come in and the moment she walks in the door, she starts shouting at these kids. I think there were about five children in that home, um, ranging from age eight to 13. And she would shout and shout and scream and she would uh, often say, I've had enough, I've had enough, I've had it up to here. And she was making gestures by touching her forehead. And I remember asking one of the staff, me staff members, why did she choose to come and work with children when it's quite clear that she can't stand being in this, in this place? These, these children are dealing with enough and they don't need anyone else bringing their own staff to, to work. Absolutely. And, and then when they've been in that, that atmosphere of abuse, sexual, um, physical, mental, and then to be gone to a place where it's supposed to be safe and life is going to be better for them, and mm. it's not, what the heck? So was there an answer for you? Did they just say, I mean, what was yeah, the answer? This is, they, they told me that she was having a hard time at home, and so she comes and dumps it on children. I said, well, they, the manager needs to do something about it. You, you can't just watch. But because one, I was young. <laughs> Two, I was new in the country. I, had, I, I didn't have this, this, this assertiveness that I have now. Or well, they've just got to tell her that, look, you, 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 either you, you, you look after these children well or you ship out. Yeah, so Monica now would tell them that because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when, you, when you meet you, there is not one bit of um, uh, cowering involved in your personality. No way. <laughs> no. So did that shape you to be more assertive and, and kind of be the, the one that sticks up for the kind of the downtrodden is that the moment it was pivotal for you? I think it was a process of uh, learning to also gain my, my resilient strength and stepping forward to, to grow it and develop it and strengthen it mm -hmm. so that I am an advocate, not just for myself, but for others too. Well, and quite often when you are the advocate or you're the person that is the one that is protecting and helping to shape uh, people's experiences so they become positive, you really are um, fixing or, or feeding something within yourself. Would mm -hmm. you agree with that? Yeah. I, I would agree with that. Yeah. And so after that, so you didn't go in that home again. What, what was next for, for Monica, who was just starting to find <laughs> her voice? So after that, I went to the agency and I actually told them that I am struggling. I, I'm, str I'm struggling in the children's homes. Can you send me to work with adults. In my mind, I thought at least if an adult is struggling, maybe it's their fault. And so I could, in my mind, I could handle that. Mm -hmm. But to see a child struggling, then I couldn't handle how a, a child could be subjected to that because to me, children are innocent. Totally. So 
I started working in um, the homeless unit and then I went to work in um, mental health and I found a permanent job in a residential home for uh, people dealing with long-term mental health issues. After about eight years, I decided to look for extra work. And then I went back to the agents and I said, hey, I'm available for some work. If you could send me, if you find me extra work, I can do two, three nights or whatever, pay week. So they sent me to a sex offenders unit. By then I, I had experienced now, I had had so much training in working in mental health and doing in-house trainings and all that. And my, my emotions were more balanced, <laughs> more, more or less. I could handle certain issues and I, I could understand um, certain issues as well, having been in mental health too. So you had said something earlier that struck me was you wanted to work with adults because in the situation they were in, uh, it was their fault. Do you still, did you feel that way after? Because, uh, you know, I think that adults that have, have, you know, walked through really traumatic times don't necessarily have, they haven't learned the emotional uh, toolbox and they haven't learned the, they haven't gained the um, emotional intelligence to be Mm. able to go, okay, now I'm an adult. Did you find that that was a different mindset for you after? I think it was, it was a different mindset definitely for me because then I realized that even for the adults, most of uh, what, what happens to them, especially when they have gone through trauma, some are not able to ever find that space to have the emotional intelligence that helps them to uh, manage issues in life. So my perspective changed. Uh, it changed it through growth as well as through learning and exposure. So, so you're in, you're working in this, um, this uh, sexual assault division. Uh, yes, I'm now working in. So I was now working in this uh, sex offenders unit uh, for teenagers, and one day they told us that we were going to have a new, a new client. In my mind, even though I left that place eight years ago, but Michael never left me. I kept thinking about that child. But I think even now, it's been over 20 years. I don't think Michael has really left. So I, I, I went in and I, I, um, the new client came. And I, I remember thinking, I have seen this person before. And I wrecked my brain the whole day and I did my night shift. And when I came back the following day, I was like, oh, my God, it's my God. Oh, my gosh. Did he recognize you? No. And I didn't know what recognizing me would do for him. So I decided not to, not to even go there. So I... uh, I went into the bathroom and I cried. I said to myself, um, I said, God, I know I kept asking you. I kept asking you whatever happened to that child. I kept asking you what sort of future was he going to have? I, I kept asking you because I wondered if he was okay, but I didn't expect the answer. 
Certainly not bad answer. In, in my, not bad answer, not in my lifetime. See, I still tear up when no, I... No, you do. Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. In your, he's in your soul. And so was there... Okay, so then he walks in. He is now um, a sexual offender, mm-hmm. a sex offender. Apo- I apologize for my terminology. I'm not That's really true. familiar with it. But so he walks in and you see him and you recognize him. Was there... Did you take him on as a client? He, I was all, I was supporting all of the young sex, sex offenders in the in that project. I think we had about six of them. So he was and, also one 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 of the clients I was supporting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what happened to him? Do you know? Like, how much time did you spend with him? I worked with him for uh, uh, a little over a year. So now he was now reaching age eighteen. And they were now going to be releasing him into the community because he was no longer a child. He needed to go and live by himself. And my assessment was that he had not been taught much life skills. And so my heart was breaking and realizing and wondering how he is going to cope when he is out there. We talked about this uh, prior to recording, but if you throw in someone's um, challenges, alcohol, we're more accepting. You throw in drug abuse, we're more accepting. You throw in that SEX word, and they are doomed. And I remember in my ski club, uh, I work with a, I work, I skied with a um, a gal who works with sex offenders. I can't give any of the specifics, of course. Of course. Someone had said to her, like, how, how do you find your compassion for these people? Because that's disgusting. I mean, it's terrible that, and she said, listen, they are human beings like everyone else. And I, it really struck me, and it still sticks with me, the compassion she had for these men that she, she works with. Because they don't get, even if they were rehabilitated or whatever, I don't really know much about how it goes, but they don't get much of a chance, do they? No matter what. I, you know, I think probably this is what, was, this is what I was supposed to see so that it um, makes me not judge. I, see the, I saw this child. He was innocent. He was eight. He... He, he had, you know, all the curiosity that a child has. He was taken away from home and now being kept in um, a children's home. So presumably taking him from his parents and looking after him in an institution or a home was to make sure that he grows up to be a, a, a responsible uh, person in community, in society, who has been healed and helped to go over the traumas that he went through from when he was a baby to when he was eight, right? Yeah. But then when I saw him, when he was now 16, 17, my question was, so, so what happened? How did he fall through the cracks? What, what happened to the safety net? that was supposed to catch him and then teach him the life skills. But also within the homes that, that we, we work in, even though some of the people have got the theoretical knowledge, 
they do not have the practical and the emotional intelligence to understand how to help these young young men and uh, and i remember I, I i strongly felt that i could actually do a better job of running a, a sex offenders unit than what i was seeing there in the sense that there were so many things which were don'ts and very little of do's which you and i do not encounter they, they if they were sitting together in, in, in the staff were sitting in the TV room, if they, they kind of looked at each other when they were talking, you were told them, you were to tell them not to stare at each other. I don't know what that was supposed to prevent, but part of our communication is eye contact. And there was no touch policy. So tell me who survives without being touched at all? Not even a handshake, you know. I remember one day, and it always happened to Michael. <laughs> I remember one day it was um, Mother's Day. And he came into the office and he was really excited. So he had come to say Happy Mother's Day to the, to the manager. And he's like, happy Mother's Day, and he's extending his hand. And she said, you know, there's no touch policy. And secondly, I'm not your mother. My God, it's, it, it, oh my God. It's heartbreaking to hear that, Monica. And, and he just, oh my God, he just said, oops, sorry. And he, you know, he kind of folded his hands and he walked out. And I'm thinking, how, how is he? ever going to to heal heal from that we say happy mother's day to anyone who's a mother could she not could she not have just said thank you that's all she didn't even have to shake his hand but like you say when you know when it's touch i mean the the simplest touch or hug or kind gesture could maybe start to instill some trust in the human absolutely beings it's not even about this trying to um to uh, connect with this mother or this pseudo mother, but just as a human being, like how does that woman sleep at night? Did you find your voice? Did you have your Monica voice I that didn't. you have now? I didn't. No. I, 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 I didn't. I just made sure that when I was working with them, I do my best, you know, to be present. But then if he has got no eye contact and he can't ever touch, not even to to greet by hand, how is he ever going to know which touch is safe and which one is not? And which one's right and which one's yes. not? Which one is, yeah, and which one is right and which one is not? And then it made me think when he was then um, sent off to the community, I remember those days there were people were demanding to know which, which sex offender has been let off and is on their street. It's got to be registered. So I, I realize that this topic is um, controversial. I am talking from my perspective and from what I have witnessed and 
I am not in any way saying that it is, it is right for sex offenders to offend. I am just saying sometimes we do not know the whole story. We never know the whole story. We just rush to judge. This, this young man was not given any of the skills at all. So he was not given complete communication skills, which in, include eye contact, which include touch, all these, all these um, aspects of interaction that we have. And sometimes they are so given to us without restriction. We don't, we take them for granted. We don't even realize how privileged we are. Well, and, and on many levels, we don't realize the pain that mm. that young man must have. I can only imagine. I can't even imagine it. But just as a human being who has empathy to understand that he, he just was not ever going to get a chance at any point. So then he's released to the community. You're still working. Did you see him again, Monica? Um, no, I didn't. After he was released, after he was released to the... Uh, into the community. I didn't see him again because after that, he, uh, he is no longer part of the responsibility of the state. He's now on his own, which means that on that street where he is on, and they know, they can just stand in front of his house, apartment, whatever, and shout insults, and which I used to see on TV or whatever. Where did he go then? What did he do? So I'm, I'm going to stop that there because we need to take a quick break. You are listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. My guest today is Monica Kunzegeta. Did I say it? Kunzegeta. Okay, pretty close. Very close. <laughs> uh, we will be right back, so just stay tuned. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven-module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand, and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Welcome back. You're listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. We were talk- been talking to Monica. So you were in this. What point did that bring you to Canada? What time did you, or what point and why did you come to Canada? Did you get married and have family or? Um, I came to Canada in 2015. Oh, uh, so you're, you're welcome. You're, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Five years, yes. So I met someone and I came here. And soon enough, getting into the relationship, I realized that it was not what I wanted. It wasn't what I expected. It wasn't what I was promised. And so I, I often uh, use the analogy of going into the shop, in the store, 
there's a nice display on store. You pick up the product, you take it home, and it just got a, a description of what it does for you. And then you get home and you realize that it has got all the opposite. It's not doing anything for you. So under normal circumstances, you would return the product to the store. So I often wonder when I see people who keep this product, which is not giving them what, uh, the satisfaction of what they bought it for. That comes with, that is said with a lot of confidence and a lot of, and I will tell you, my friend, there are a lot of people who keep that damaged property from the store because for some reason, they don't think they deserve better. I don't get it. I mean, we've all been in situations where it's like, oh, yeah, never mind. Yeah. You know, it, you know we have an idea in our head what that looks like. Mm-hmm. But when the reality starts to uh, set in, a lot of people do not take that step. We've got couples and people who are so unhappy because they're afraid to take that step. Mm out onto their own, aren't they? Absolutely. And, and I think more so now, during this lockdown period, it's really important. I was reading an article from the UK, which said that before lockdown, there were about two domestic violent deaths per week. Now it's 16. My it gosh. is because people are staying with this product that they see that it's not doing anything that was stipulated on the, in the manual. It's wrong. You, you, you take it back and, and, and uh, take your power back. And, you know, and that's, that's hard to do because I don't think people... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I don't even think people realize. And it's not just women, it's men too. Oh, yes. It's like they don't even know their own power. And... That's so sad because we live in one of the best countries mm-hmm. on the planet and we should be able to, but there's so much pressure to have, you know, the perfect relationship, the perfect house, the perfect, you know, clothes from the rat, everything. And when it doesn't kind of go, you know, you do your checks. Yeah. And I, I think people don't realize the work that it takes. It's the same as Michael. If the work oh, yeah. put into Michael that he deserved as a human being because he was completely innocent at eight years of age. Mm-hmm. If the work had been done, we Properly. may have had a different Michael in 2020, but we don't even know where Mike, I don't even know who Michael is and you mm. have to be worried about Michael. <laughs> so that's your, that, that's the beauty of you. And I remember you telling me this story and you were so um, moved by it years and years later. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to ask you, like, sorry to cut you off, but I was going it's to okay. ask you, where has that brought you in your career today? Is there, is there something that's been done that you do differently? Can you go, are you um, bound by kind of the, you know, the bureaucracy of, of this social problem? You know what I'm trying to say? Like, mm-hmm. is there something where you go, hold on a second, no way, this is not going to happen on my watch? So, I have worked main, mainly in the, in the care industry. So what I would say is that at one point I worked in, um, in people's homes. I was looking after individual clients. I decided to leave my managerial posts. 
I wanted to, I had decided that I wanted to open a care agency, but I did not want to open a care agency without actually knowing the different, the different dynamics that the care workers go through and that the clients go through. So I joined an agency so that I could work in different and also understand different illnesses and stuff. And each time a carer or a caregiver leaves, they give you a handover. And in some places I would go and they would say, he is rude, he is this, he is that, or she is this, she is that. She doesn't, you know, many, 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 many caregivers, they leave. Uh, many caregivers do this, you know what? But what I usually did was once the person who gave me handover goes, I would sit down with my client. After all, I'm going to be there with them for a week or two. And so I would say, tell me about yourself. I have a clean slate. I'm not working with what somebody else has told me because they have weaved their own relationship with this person. That has got nothing to do with me. So I cannot jump in and use what somebody else has told me to know how to look after this person, or how to work with this person. And so they were often shocked why I've never, there's no incidences where the client has sent me home or has been upset and I end up working with someone for weeks, months or whatever, because I did not go in there with judgment. And a preconceived notion. And Absolutely. It's like, right. And, you know, I mean, I think that, yes, people typically don't change. I mean, if, if you have behaviors that are, are kind of what your makeup is, yes, that doesn't change. But if someone else is looking at that at an entirely uh, fresh perspective, it may, you know, kind of cool the flames a bit. Do you think? It, it does because... Some of them, they try you. Remember, remember they, you, you, you are going into their space, you're going into their home, and they want to know if you are go- you're there for them. And, and the, initial, the initial introduction might be just to test you, to test what sort of a person you are. I remember I went to look after a, a woman who, she was bedridden, and she was actually dying from, um, she, she had AIDS. And I think most people, she, she had a tendency of saying, uh, if you don't do this or you don't do that, I will, I'll pick up a needle and I'll prick you. Ouch. Yeah. But then my assessment, when I walked in, she couldn't even get up. So even if she says it from where I am sitting, just have a conversation and understand what that is all about. That's a wall going up. It's like, don't mess with me. I'm hurting. And, you know, it's like animals do it perfectly. If you've seen a dog that has been beaten repeatedly, you put your yes. hand he's going to bite you. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so just have a conversation. So I sat there and I said, I understand you're in pain, but, but I just want to ask you, would you wish that pain on anybody else? And then she said, no, I wouldn't. Wow. And then I said, that's why I don't believe that you would do what you said you would. And from there, we, we, we worked together until I finished my shift. 
And then she said, she said, um, most people, most people leave. They just go, they come in and, and they leave and they leave me alone. Yeah. And that's a, that's a very indirect cry for, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yeah. So are you still doing that today? Cause you, you changed careers since you came to Canada? I am now writing and, um, in 2014, I started, uh, participated in an anthology and in there I shared a story which made me realize that I was carrying so much pain, uh, from, um, running away from home and I wanted to help other people. I still want to help people heal through writing. So since then I've compiled four anthologies. I'm working on my fifth one is mostly true stories. Co-authors will share true stories to help them heal. And uh, hopefully their stories will help somebody else heal. Well, and they'll, you could have 50 anthologies, Monica. I mean, that's <laughs> the, it's kind of the human, human thing, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's uh, becoming that way, isn't it? <laughs> and, and it's lovely. I know when I'm coaching and that's how I do is like healing through journaling. Mm. It's so powerful for people to do it. But the key is, is that they want, they have to want to be vulnerable in order to do it. And that is not an easy ask of any human being. Because it goes down to that trust thing. If you, again, mm-hmm. you know, you go to that, you know, you go to Michael or you go to that dog that's been beaten repeatedly, uh, you know, I, and eventually will they trust? I don't know, maybe. So one of the things that I attended that I thought was utterly beautiful was the Women Talk Africa event and the stories. Mm-hmm. I, it, it was so powerful to listen to the stories that they, they tell. And you sit there and you think, oh my gosh, how, how do you not be grateful for where, you know, really, we're no different, my friend. The mm-hmm. only difference is, is that I was born and raised in Canada. That's it. We're, we are women. We have feelings. We've been hurt. We brought home that stupid thing from the store that we didn't turn in back right away. soon <laughs> <laughs> enough. <laughs> we, found, we found the compassion to find that gift within ourselves to be able to recognize that everyone has those um, experiences. And some are worse. I, like some of the stories. Oh, yeah. I'm, I know. I'm forever talking about Jackie Mutoni, who is going to do a <laughs> podcast with me. You know, she just, she is so incredible to me that she's even still standing with the experiences that she had that no other human being I know has ever walked through those experiences. I know. And, you know, with Jackie Mutoni's story, each time you hear it, you cry as if you're hearing it for the first time. And you know what the beauty of that is, is that she is so lovely. And I remember mm. when we were at Women Talk Convention, I, we were all listening to her story and I was supposed to speak after her. And I'm like, uh, no, we're going to take a break. <laughs> Because my story is like, you know, I've said this, you know, lots of times with Bridget and stuff. It's like, oh, poor widow Helen, you know, and it's not about that. It isn't, it isn't about that. It's every experience is important to the human that's had to deal mm-hmm. with it. However, there should be a little bit of gratitude in there when you're not telling that's not your story to tell. And thank Right, you. right. 
and it's not to diminish, you know, it's not to, but Jackie just, she tells that story. And every time, I mean, I've heard her speak twice now and every time it, it see, appears to be a bit easier for her, you can see her gaining her confidence mm. and she smiles that most beautiful smile that she has. And she, you know, you always just want to hug her, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And I think when we, we, we talk about, uh, I think it's important that we should mention the, the need to have a tribe or the go-to group, which is outside of your relationship, so that you are able to hear stories of encouragement, so that you are able to just have somewhere where you belong. That is where you can build your strength. Because if I, if I didn't have women talk, I think I would have struggled and it would have taken me much longer to return the product <laughs> back to the store. <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. But what I loved about that night is there <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but what I loved about that evening is that it didn't matter that we were from very different cultures, countries, mm-hmm. you know, we're different color. It, it just doesn't matter. And you just think in 2020, how, why are we still having to have like I loved that women talk because we were all the tribe right yes it was beautiful I I loved I walked away from that evening it was so it really got to me like a Michael would get to you Mm. the power it takes in telling the stories and like you were saying you're helping people healing through telling their stories um are there any stories that you still would like to explore more you haven't heard it all or have you (laughs) No, there are more stories. So even when I talk about uh, my experiences uh, in the in the relationship that I was, I did I, I did not even scratch the surface with with that. And I I remember I was telling someone that the the story, and they were saying to me, "How did you how did you manage to stay to you know hold it together? How did you manage to even?" come out of there with this level of, you know. But then they also went on to ask, what was my profession? What was my background? And so, of course, I, I was a manager for supported living, for high support mental health uh, unit in, 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 the, in the UK for uh, many years. I also am a life coach. And I am an author, healing through writing and helping others to do so. And with each, with each um, co-author I work with, when they give me their draft, I look at it, I read, you know, and we, we have a chat. And by the time they give me their second and third draft, it's unrecognizable because now they have been able to really open up and the trust, like you were saying, is now there. And obviously, I've also encouraged them to go where they were avoiding to go, just so they could heal. And you do that. You do that. That is not easy to do. I mean, mm. how do you do that without taking on that um, depression and that, that PTSD? I mean, you, you know, you're an empathic person, clearly. 
So how do, how do you protect yourself from that? And knowing what you went through, um, your own experience, you came out of that wounded. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you find your, your Monica stand, which is awesome? The, the Monica stands comes in, in, in that as I am working with them, my main aim is to, because I know how I have healed, I have that conviction that it would help them heal as well. So I, I trusted the process because I know that if they are willing to really pour out, they are emptying that cup with dirty water. They don't need it so that they can fill it up with clean water. And therein lies your gift because you can't, I think, I, I believe that you do have a sociology degree. Do you not? Yes, I do. Yeah. I do yes. Did that help you at all? Or was it your life experience that gave you that it factor? Do you know what I mean? I, I think it did help, but also life experience too. I, I think as we go along, we have um, two major subjects that we, we venture into that we carry with throughout life. The experience should never be underestimated. And then the academic as well, it helps you understand yourself and and also help you understand others. Yeah, and I and I agree with you. And um, you know, I mean, if you've walked through the trenches, you know that you can come out the other side. Um now, and the trick is to know that that those experiences never really go away, but you are in control of how mm-hmm. you want to carry forward. And that's so powerful. And it, it is, it's powerful to be in that position. And, and I don't know, I don't know what it feels like. I can't remember anymore what it felt to be not in that power. Right. And what a beautiful gift to give to somebody. Thank you. And, and I think my main, my, my main, I enjoy the process. It's just like, you know, what, what you're doing here, I see you enjoy what you do. It's the same thing when, when I sit with them, I've read their story and we're now sitting to discuss and I'm also asking questions in areas where they are not clear or the, 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 the meaning is kind of ambiguous and I'm asking for clarification. And we go into it, sometimes we cry together, you know, sometimes we laugh and I could be reading all by myself, I'm reading, I'm crying and I'm laughing and I'm getting up, I'm stretching, I'm holding my hand, I'm like, Jesus, my God. And then I go back. <laughs> I <know. laughs> It's true. It's so true. That's why I always do the pre-podcast session because I know I don't, I, I never want it to be so set in stone that you can't explore through the conversation. That's why I love doing my podcast like this because you just it organically moves into where mm-hmm. you're a real human being and it's not like you know oh did you do this and did you do this and I think the questions are really important to ask because mm-hmm. you know clearly you've done the work but if someone's listening to this podcast who's still on that other side holding on to that thing from the store they don't really want but they don't want no. to take it back for whatever reason <laughs> I think it just gives you a bit of hope to realize that you can, you can you can laugh about it. Oh yes, and um, I used to, to say I used to, to say to my ex when he was going. Ah, so who do you think will ever want you? Whatever, whatever, all that nastiness. And I'll say to him, "Look, I made the wrong turn. 
<laughs> and I met you. <laughs> Should have turned left at Albuquerque. Yeah. Yeah. So now I need to turn right back. Yeah, that's right. And, and obviously he didn't believe me, but you know. Sometimes but that's the- that power game. That's the power mm-hmm. when the abuser is doing that. And even with the the life experience and the education you have behind you, mm-hmm. it is easy to believe because we all have that wish as human beings. The one thing a human being wants more than anything else on this planet is love. Oh, yeah. And so when you feel those feelings of what you think is, I think that's why there's so many divorces and so many breakups and people aren't willing to explore what it is they really want or where their power lies. You know, we Mm -hmm. give ourselves away way too much to other human beings, you know, until you've gone through that a few times and you're like, well, hold on. Totally. You know? Yeah. (laughs) So what's, so what's ahead for you? What's ahead for me? um, I I know I've got so many messages. I will, continue doing the anthologies. I might, I've been looking at podcasts, see how I can use um, the stories in the sense that we, I would interview my co-authors and, and find out more about, um, about, the, about the, their experience, especially of actually going through the writing and getting their stories out and where they were at the time they started writing to where they are now. Yeah, I think that's a, a you know, I love that idea. And and I'll, I'll be a guest because I walked through <laughs> some trenches myself. But, uh-huh. And it's true. And it is true. It's, it's such a powerful question to say, where were you 10 years ago when mm-hmm. you went into that darn store and you bought it? And now you're 10 years ahead. It's not even about, it's not mm-hmm. even about the thing you bought home that mm-hmm. you shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. It's really about the emotion yes. and mm-hmm. how you can, you know, what was the learn from that? And where yes. do you sit today because of it? And where mm-hmm. did you find your gift in it? Like, I mean, Monica, you have a, a beautiful gift in, in drawing you. those stories out of people. I love that about you. I mean, you just have such a, a, a presence about you. It's wonderful. And I'm glad that you're using it. Thank you. You're going to make a difference in a lot of people's lives. Thank you so much. Um, I think you you're also doing an amazing, amazing, amazing job. Thank you, honey. I love what you, I do. You, you expand. You're also expanding people in the way you 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 are interviewing them and asking all these questions. We grow when we have time to reflect. Sometimes when, when the questions are not asked by someone else, we never think of them. Uh, and we also maybe not even realize how far we have come and not, not even realize how much of Michael I've got in me. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I wish uh, we, we have to wrap it up and thank you. But, you know, I, I even want to know where Michael is and if Michael's okay. It, that. You know, and maybe this is, you know, here's something I just thought of this very minute. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is your gift to Michael. If you couldn't, and I don't want to say you couldn't save him because I think that implies you didn't try. But I think you saw someone where the system failed him, where the humans in his life failed him. But you are kind of giving back to him through mm-hmm. the people you're helping, Monica. Thank so, you. You're welcome. I, I, we need to find this guy. You know, I, 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 I remembered his, his last name eventually. So 
Well, don't say it on the podcast. No, 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 no way. No, no, no. Yeah. I remembered. I remembered. Remember last time we spoke, I couldn't remember. But yeah. now I do remember. No, I'm not saying it. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, I even the way it, it, the way it pressed on me, the way it bothered me, I even thought of doing at one point, I thought of doing an, a, a, um, a PhD and do a research on what happens to these people. And so what's holding you back? <laughs> no pressure, my dear. <laughs> I love it. Monica, I thought I, <laughs> I need to find out. I was so... You know, I'm thinking, what is wrong with the system? Why, how do they even drop the ball? You picked it up. Now why are you dropping it? Well, you know what? Wow. So that just answered my question of three <laughs> minutes ago. So the next time we do a podcast, it'll be, this is my guest, Monica Kunzekwaguta. Well done. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Monica, thank you so much for joining me. You are one of the loveliest people I have ever met on my journey, and I'm so grateful to know you. Um, Thank you. And uh, I look forward to talking to you more. I really want to know when you do your your work, and you can find my... I'll probably come to you for tips, you know. You just do that. (laughs) I am always here for you. All right. Well, thank you so much. You have been listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose, and that is all for today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Sharing Stories with Helen Rose. To learn more about Helen's journaling retreats, speaking engagements, and life coaching, or to sign up for her newsletter, please visit HelenRose.ca. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.